Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. If you want to turn to me with me to 2 Chronicles 5. I was uh, I was watching this this conference in January and uh, and just be ministered to at home and I got a word for for tonight. I knew I was going to speak at Revival Nights and and this I feel I felt like the Lord gave us a word for our house for Mountain Park for us individually but actually us as a as a house as a body of Christ and so He wants to speak to us today about consecrating ourselves to the Lord. And I know that's, that's like a really Bible word, um, but we're gonna, we're gonna unpack it. And simply the definition when you look it up um, in the biblical meaning is this, is dedicated, purified, or set apart. God is calling us, church, to be set apart for him. He's inviting us to be set apart. And this is the passage that, that the Lord laid on my heart. And I, I'm not a huge um, Chronicles reader. Um, if you've ever done any of the, like, reading through the Bibles, Chronicles is a, is a, is a heavy book to kind of slug through. And so uh, it was interesting that he laid this on my heart. Um, I, I love right now, right now the Lord, is, the Lord has challenged me this year to study the Gospels. Um, and so naturally, I like to preach out of the Gospels, but this is where he brought me. And so let's look at verse 13, chapter 5. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 5, 13 and 14. And it says this. They raised their voices and praised the Lord with, the, with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment... A thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud of the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Because the, the cloud of the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Now here's an exciting truth that comes in. When the presence of the Lord shows up, it changes everyone's plans, including pastors. This is the exciting thing. And so today what we're looking for is not for a, a, just a generic service schedule. We are actually looking for the presence of the Lord to show up and change our lives. I remember since, since my life got transformed by meeting Jesus. See, I grew up in church and I, I kind of watched all the routine and everything and I didn't understand it until I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, that changed everything for me. And from that moment forward, I, I knew there was something different between religion and rules and relationship and intimacy. And so I pursued the relationship, the intimacy, and I realized that there is, there is something called the manifest presence of the Lord, that, that our God is, he is omnipresent. So he's everywhere right now, all the time. 
But there is something about the presence of the Lord. He can manifest himself somewhere, revealing himself and exposing a character, a part of who he is. And when that happens, just as it says, we are unable to continue what we were doing. And so let's, let's look at this passage and figure out, because when I, when I read something like that, like, I don't know if you're like me. When you, when you read scripture, you think, wow, what just happened there? Like it says that the cloud, there was a thick cloud that fell into the temple and filled the temple with his glory. Now, I don't know if you are like me, but I'm a visual person. And man, I would want to see that in movie form. Anyone? I'm like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God just to see, you know, the Bible through movies and just like have a really movie of it. And it will be really great. And I just think I just think, man, I would love to see the glory of the Lord descend in a cloud and fill the temple and everything that was planned fall apart because he is so powerfully there. See, but then it makes me ask the question, man, that is an amazing moment. What led to that moment? Because, man, I want to see those type of things in my life. I want to see God's glory falling in my life. I want to see, just like Andrew was saying, my, my family being filled, my house being filled by his glorious presence, that it changes my kids' lives. And my, fr my kids' friends come over, and their lives are changed. And so it makes me ask, what were they doing in this moment? And so let's look at verse two, and we're going to read through it with me. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and just, we're at chapter five, verse two through 14. And so here's the picture of what's happening so far. David has wanted to build the temple for the Lord. He realized that this city is being built and, and, and God is actually living in a tent, he says. I want to build him a glorious temple where he can actually be in the center of his people. And God says, sorry, David, not you, but your son. And so he dedicates all these things David does, and he passes on the baton to his son, Solomon. And King Solomon is the one who gets to build this temple. And we come into the story, and it says that it is being finished. And so this in essence, is the opening ceremonies to the temple of God, and we get a front row seat. And so if you want to read with me, we're going to go from verse 2. Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribe, the leaders of the ancestral families of Israel. They were to bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to the temple from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion. So all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the, festival, at the annual festival of, this, of the, sorry, lost my place, um, which is held in early autumn. When all the elders of Israel arrived, the Levites picked up the ark, the priests and the Levites brought up the ark along with the special tent and all the sacred items that had been in it. There before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could count them. That's a bad day to be a cattle farmer. Um, 
Then the priests carried the Ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its, and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the temple's main room, the holy place, but not from outside. They are still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord had made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left Egypt. Then the priest left the holy place. All the priests who were present had purified themselves, whether or not they were on duty that day. And the Levites who were musicians with Ashphas, He-Man, He-Man was there, um, that dude, and all the sons and brothers were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east side of the altar playing all the instruments. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. The trumpeteers, the singers, performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by the trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and shouted and praised the Lord with these words, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because the cloud because of the cloud, the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. See, in this passage, here's what we know. There are three distinct things that are happening that, that lead to the presence of the Lord follow, falling. And so when I read this stuff, I'm like, man, I want to know what those three things are so that they can set me apart. And actually it's four, but I felt weird to have four points. So I had three plus a bonus. So that's where we're at. Um, and so the first one is this. The first one we see, what do they do to see God's presence moved? And just in case you're here and you're like, oh, are you just trying to f like re-engineer a way back to God's presence? Or are you just trying to like manipulate God so that you can have this, this moment happen again? And, and you need to understand that when we look at these things, we actually don't look at them to manipulate God to, to then. He's not an equation that we can then put together and he has to answer a certain way. When we look at these things, it's actually more about our positioning than it is about him. I had a pastor once tell me that, that radio frequencies kind of shoot across every room. And we actually don't know they're there because we don't actually dial into them. See, but if we were to bring the right device here and put them in the right way, we could pick up those signals right here, right now. And in the same way, when we position ourselves in the right way, see, we can begin to commune with God in such a powerful way. So it's not about manipulating God. It's about positioning ourselves. And so the first point is this, that, that these men and all of Israel, they come in unity. What does that mean? 
Well, let's, let's look at the passage. Here we go. Let's look at verse 2. It says this, that he summoned all the, all the elders. Later on in verse 3, it says again that he brought all the families. Then later on in verse 11, it says all the priests were there. And then in verse 7, it actually says that all the people were there. And some scholars believe that just because at this time, the importance was placed on male leadership, that actually the whole of the community was there, that children were there, that, that wives were there, that families were there, that all of Israel was there to dedicate this temple to say, this is going to be the habitation of our God and we are dedicating it to our king. So we see that that's important. So what does that mean? It means this, that they set aside time. So unity, unity was they set aside a particular time to come together and say, this is about you, God. See, that's what, that's what this is about, this weekend. This is not about figuring out what church business is going on or, or figuring out how to have the right program. This is simply coming together as a church and saying, let's set aside every agenda we could ever have. And let's just, let's just call upon God and say, we're setting aside time to come in unity, to say, Jesus, we need you. The second thing that it, that it is, is, you know, unity, they come with one focus. They didn't come, you actually look at it, they didn't actually come and have other things happening. They weren't doing business on top of coming together to dedicate this temple. They actually just simply came to dedicate the temple. There were no wedding ceremonies going on. There was no Nothing else happening other than all of Israel came together before the temple to say, God, this is your habitation. This is your dwelling place where we want you to live. And again, this is why we get come together. Because we are setting aside a time to be singular focused. Singular focused, not, not on just doing church, right? Because if you're like me, can you not get into the routine on Sundays of just kind of doing the right thing? Like you're in a rush and you've got so many things going on that you just kind of check in. Maybe you're the, the person who shows up five minutes just after service and then you leave five minutes just before service so that you don't have to talk to anyone. And then and you get into this rut and so it's so easy just to kind of do things. But this is where we set aside this time and then as a congregation, this is why at all together we come with one focus and we say, Jesus, we're not here to make deals. We're not here to find out whose friends are here. We're not here to find our spouse. We're not here, we are here, Jesus, to be transformed by your presence. We are here because you are everything. See, there is something powerful about unity. There is something powerful about when we come together as a community and say we are focused on anything. But when you do that and you come together and you focus on Jesus, there is something incredibly powerful that happens. But I actually, when I, was, when I was unpacking this, and this is where we're gonna have an interactive message. Um, 
so easy, it's, it's so easy for us to hear messages and just intellectually understand them. And I love how Andrew says, like, I'm not reading for just for knowledge, I'm reading for relationship. And so easy uh, when we come in and we hear, we hear messages and we hear sermons and it's so easy for us to just get it intellectually, but not allow it to penetrate our heart and transform us and almost turn us inside out. And so here's what, here's what the Lord said to me. He said, I have, I have ministry to do today because there is something that holds back unity and decays my purpose in my church. And he said, the, the thing that that is, is unforgiveness. And so I'm just gonna invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. We did not come here to listen to a message, to take notes, to say that's good, or, or just to simply have it on our shelf and be like, those were really good points. Who cares if they're really good points if they don't transform us, if they don't come into us and turn us inside out to be more like Jesus and bring us into intimacy with him. And I can tell you that there is very little that holds back the purposes of God like unforgiveness does. God gave me this picture. He said, unforgiveness is like building a prison for someone else and turning around and realizing that you are now living in the prison you were building for someone else. The word for you today is that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So with nobody looking around, because this isn't about us, us understanding each other's business or carrying our baggage, but if you have deep unforgiveness, maybe you've been carrying it around for years and it's been a weight on you, I'm gonna ask you just to, to stand to your feet. And so Jesus, we turn to you because the answer is not just the right steps to get through being mad at someone. The answer is that your love would overwhelm us and would soften the hardness of our hearts towards this person or towards the hurt that so deeply has hurt us. The right words cannot do that. Jesus, only your touch can do that. Right now, I pray over every person standing that your love would wash over them and soften their hearts. Right now, if, you, if you're standing, I'm just going to invite you to, just in your own words, invite the love of Jesus into that situation, into that unforgiveness. 
And right now we claim your truth that says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys can grab a seat. And so the bonus, the, the bonus point was this, um, that I didn't want to make a full point, was that these people, when they came together, didn't just come in unity. They actually came together, and you see that they put the, it says in verse 7, the Ark of the Covenant was put into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. Now, again, the temple is a picture of the, the throne room of God, and at the center of it is, is where God sits, his throne. And this is, the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God, and he, what they're doing is they are putting the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, where it should be, on the throne. Here's what's so important to do. When we come together and want to see God move powerfully in our lives, we need to put Jesus where he is meant to be. He is meant to be on the throne, not us. But how easy is it for so many of us to put other things there and move him out? If we hope to see God's presence, his manifest presence, move in our lives, we must Put Jesus where he is meant to be, which is on the throne. It's where he sits all the time. We just are delusional and believe that we might be sitting there. Next, we see this. We see that they put sacrifices. I love this. It says, therefore, before the ark, again, the presence of God, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could keep count. There's a debate in scholarship of why they did this. Why was there so many? Was it just for sin? Was it sin and offering? Were they just that, that bad? They hadn't done any atoning for their sins? What was the point of it? Was, it? was it that some of it was for sin and some of it was just for offerings to the Lord of say, how great you are, God. The point of it is this, is that that is not as important as the fact that what they were doing where they were making sacrifices before the Lord. And if we want to see God's presence, his manifest presence move in our lives and in this church, the way that they did there, where he actually shows up, what we need to do is this. We need to make sacrifices. So what does that mean? Well, first it means this. We need to acknowledge the sacrifice that was made for us, that made it possible for us to have communion with God. We need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, that he made the way, he rose from the grave, and that that is actually the thing that empowers us to actually know the Father intimately. That you can have community with Jesus, with the Father, because Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and it means that you and I can know the Father intimately. 
So first, it's about understanding that Jesus is that way for us to know him. And then what does it mean? Well, I think it's so important for us to do this. I think too often in church, we get caught up in, in not understanding the importance of repentance. That we actually compromise the holiness of what God has called us to be and we're okay with it and it grieves him. And some of the compromise is just simply the, the culture around us that we allow to influence us. But some of it is just, we are, the church is caught up in sin and we are okay with it. And the call that God is calling to us, that he, that he called, that Solomon called his people to, he said this, we cannot walk down this road anymore. We cannot hope to engage with the living God, if there is sin in us, we must make sacrifices before he shows up. And so for us, what that means is this. We need to be deeply grieved at the compromises we make and the sin that we are comfortable with. So again, if we could just close our eyes and bow our heads. I just want to invite you, if you're in this place, and not like, oh yeah, I know I did something bad, so I'll raise my hand, but actually, if you're here and there is, there is, and I'm not just, this isn't about knowing each other's sin. This is about us standing in a place of repentance, which means I am turning away. I am grieved by the things that I've done. If you're here and you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because it means nothing if it's the conviction of a pastor or a conviction of somebody else placing it on you. What it is, is the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, turn from those things so that I might be in you and dwell with you and know you intimately. If you're here and you are, you are feeling the repentance and you want to acknowledge those things, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. And we just turn to you, Jesus, and we ask that you would move so deeply in us. Forgive us for allowing culture to dictate what we say is right and wrong. Our desire is not to be right according to culture. Our desire is to be holy and set apart according to you, almighty creator God. Convict us of compromise, the things that we just are okay with because it's not necessarily sin, but we just live with those little foxes that you talk about that we let in our vineyard and they eat away at what you want to do. Break our hearts for those things. We want to see you. We want to see your manifest presence. But the things in our lives are, are distorting that. They're holding us back. And so we repent of those things, Jesus. Jesus, our Savior, 
the one who makes us righteous. We turn to you, Jesus, because you are our answer. In you is everything we need. We need you, Jesus. Amen. Then finally, they end with this. They end by bringing everyone together. All the priests, even the priests who are off duty, they come in. They have trumpets, they have cymbals, they have everything going, and they simply do this. They acknowledge the goodness of God. They say, you are good. And it is into those things that we see the presence of God move. And so this is what we are going to do. If you're with me, you can turn to Exodus 40. And I close with this. Band, you guys can come up. Again, we are not trying to manipulate God. We are not trying to say, here, we found a loophole. All we have to do is these three things and God has to show up. He's bound by it. No, he can do what he wants to do. What we are doing is this. We are saying, church, let us position ourselves and say, we need you, God. Show up. And I believe the word for this house is this. Consecrate yourself to me. Set yourself apart for me and I will make you my dwelling place. The promise in the New Testament is that there will not be a temple that where the, the, the Lord is housed. It's not about this building. It says this in, in multiple places, but in Corinthians, Paul says that, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? He has made his dwelling place in you. This is what Jesus does on the cross. He tears the veil, which is the, 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 the screen that is in between the normal and the holy, and it's torn, showing that it is not just about the one person who can go in there, but now it is about the releasing of the Spirit so that we can have him dwell in us. So I'm going to invite the, the elders and in, in uh, Exodus 40, it says this in verse 9. They were again, the tabernacle was the temple before they were in the promised land. They had to pack it up and put it up and then place it down. And it was, it was the first, it was like the prototype of the temple. And this is where Moses is dedicating the temple. And it says that they were consecrating it to the Lord, simply meaning this. This space is for nothing else other than the presence of God to come in. And I felt like the Lord say to us, I want this church, I want you to be consecrated, set apart so that my spirit would dwell in you 
and that I would live in you. This is what God is calling for us. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.